Thank you for joining us for Talking Sleep, a podcast of the American Academy of Sleep Medicine. I'm your host, Dr. Seema Kosla, Medical Director of the North Dakota Center for Sleep in Fargo. Today, I am pleased to welcome my friend and colleague, Dr. Barry Fields, a sleep physician at the Atlanta VA Health System. Great to talk to you, Barry. Great to talk to you, Seema. Thank you for inviting me. Of course. Now, we served together on the original telemedicine committee, and I think that was maybe four or five years ago, wasn't it? It was at least five or six years ago, I think, yeah. And so now, of course, you are a member of the AASM's Presidential Committee on Telemedicine, sort of the the reboot, better better than the original, I think, right? <laughs> <laughs> it's <laughs> certainly is- exciting, yeah. And, and I, I love that you are helping us navigate through these new approaches to providing care. What we were talking about the AASM's latest pulse survey of members, and, and they show that two-thirds of AASM members are utilizing telemedicine now more than before the pandemic. Uh, and I think that that's probably a trend that may continue, but I'd really love to hear your take on it. So, Barry, tell me about the telemedicine committee. I mean, obviously, this is a huge mandate now with COVID. Um, What are your specific mandates for this committee? Yeah, absolutely, Seema. So as you know, progress in telemedicine, particularly in sleep telemedicine, was really quite slow since our committee met originally, as you said, like five years ago, until, of course, COVID hit. (laughs) And then almost overnight, many providers were forced to start using telemedicine, but they may not have known much about it. So the ASM reconvened this telemedicine presidential committee or task force in 2020 to update the current resources that ASM already had and also to develop some new resources. Um, Dr. Doug Hirsch, former president of the ASM, chairs the committee, and there is so much to do in such a short timeframe that he actually split us up into three subgroups. One subgroup is updating the 2015 AASM telemedicine position statement and the AASM telemedicine implementation guide. A second subgroup is developing a telemedicine clinical visit template. And a third subgroup, the one that I'm involved with, is developing these sort of fireside chats, vlogs, discussing our experiences with telemedicine and also talking about the resources that are available. And we are working really hard to get this content out as quickly as possible. (laughs) Yeah, I can see that the pace is, um, I think, more intense given this huge demand. So I watched your fireside chats, and I actually really enjoyed them. I thought you guys did a great job. And I love how you were able to get so many different people uh, to share their, and it turned out pretty different telemedicine experiences. So what are some of the important take-home messages that you'd like people to know? Well, first of all, Seema, thank you for watching. We appreciate it. Um, And we hope many others have as well. Um, I guess the first take home message would be that we want people to know we're all in this together. None of us, as you can see uh, in the group presenting the fireside chat, none of us has all the answers in this rapidly changing telemedicine world. And we need to network with each other to make this all happen and to happen really well. 
The second take-home message I would say is do your homework. Uh, we try to outline what questions to ask, which may not be obvious, like does your malpractice provider cover your telemedicine visit? Um, then we help you do your homework by suggesting resources available through the ASM and also outside the ASM where you can look to answer those questions. And then I would say the third uh, sort of take home message is we're trying to convey telemedicine is just a tool. In other words, as the 2020s progress, I think we'll see that telemedicine is really just medicine. So like it or not, it's here. <laughs> There's no going back. So let's all get more comfortable with the tool because like any other tool, some uses are better than others. So I really love this idea that you are providing um, some information for people who are new to telemedicine and you're helping them with this almost like a list of things you wish you had known when you started. So what is on the top of your list? Yeah, we, we wanted to include that in our video, and it's really interesting to see and hear what each person wished they had known. So for me, I wish I had known how other providers work out supervision with telemedicine. So I work with a lot of sleep fellows, but I know a lot of non-academic providers out there who may need to supervise PAs, NPs, techs, and getting that supervision choreography down can be really tough. You know, like how do you join a visit when the room is virtual? <laughs> so we've made a lot of progress, but these are the things I just never even knew to ask before I got started. So tell me about what has changed since the pandemic. I mean, I feel like we've been talking about telemedicine for years and years and years, but obviously <laughs> telemedicine adoption really kind of moved at this never before seen pace when COVID hit. It was almost overnight. Absolutely. The changes really did happen almost overnight, literally in March of 2020. Um, I, I think only a small fraction of sleep clinic visits were via telemedicine before that. But then it suddenly flipped with almost all visits being telemedicine. And like many things, rapid changes in reimbursement rules and relaxed restrictions really opened the floodgates for this to happen we could suddenly get reimbursed for virtual home visits where we couldn't get reimbursed before. And as soon as clinics could get reimbursed, we were able to utilize the technology and the skills that have really been available to us for a long time, many years, and use them in a really patient-centered way. So honestly, where payment models go, the field follows, mm -hmm. and we have followed, um, at least during this public health emergency, and we followed much more into the land of telemedicine. So I'm, I'm going to ask you to look into your crystal ball. Do you, do you <laughs> think center to home or, or in my case, really home to home telemedicine will be made permanent? 
It's a great question. Um, yes, I, I think some amount of center to home or home to home, or some people say out of center telemedicine will be permanent. Um, Seema, I actually found a quote from the CMS administrator, Seema Verma. I saw from, that. <laughs> yeah, back in April of 2020. So the pandemic was just getting going. And she said, I think the genie's out of the bottle on this one. The advent of telehealth has been just completely accelerated. And she says there's absolutely no going back. And so now, of course, there are personnel changes with the new administration. So to some extent, the financial feasibility of these home visits will depend on the course the new administration charts. But I agree with Administrator Verma that there's there's no going back, at least not all the way back, to very strict telemedicine limitations, at least federally. Um, I just think that if physical home visits worked well for us in the 1920s, mm -hmm. virtual home visits will work well for us in the 2020s. Not with every patient, every time, but if we have the tool at our disposal, it'll be used and it should be used because who knows when the next disruptor after COVID is going to come along. That is, you're exactly right. And I love the way that you phrase it. Let's take a short break. And when we come back, let's talk about training new physicians in telemedicine. You're listening to Talking Sleep from the American Academy of Sleep Medicine. What does the future hold for sleep medicine? We'll explore new innovations and their implications during Sleep Medicine Disruptors coming this March. Free for ASM members, this two-day virtual course will help you reimagine healthcare. Learn more and register today at aasm.org slash disruptors21. Welcome back to Talking Sleep. I'm with Dr. Barry Fields, a sleep physician with the Atlanta VA and member of the AASM Presidential Committee on Telemedicine. So talk to me about your fellows. How are you teaching your fellows about telemedicine? You know, I've known you for years now, and you've always been an advocate for kind of for both sides of this. So teaching the fellows physically how to do telemedicine, but also then utilizing telemedicine as a teaching tool. So tell me more about this. Yeah, you're right. I've worked with fellows for years uh, who do some telemedicine visits from time to time. But this past year <laughs> has been nothing like it. Most of their education has had to come through telemedicine. Now we must use telemedicine to teach sleep medicine. And we must teach about telemedicine. And those are two different things. You know, Seema, we did a survey of sleep fellowship program directors in 2019 which was just serendipitously right before the COVID pandemic. <laughs> and we asked them about their involvement in telemedicine training. The response rate was pretty good. Almost half the program directors responded. And we found that only a third of them offered any telemedicine experience to their trainees, but 
But most of them agreed that a standardized national sleep telemedicine curriculum would be useful for them to have. And this was even before COVID. The paper actually came out in the Journal of Clinical Sleep Medicine in April of 2020, just as everyone was being forced to do and use more telemedicine. And also just as many people may have been too busy to actually read the paper. But <laughs> this is this is sometimes what, what happens uh, when you publish. So, so keeping in mind those results and the current state of things, we formalized a sleep telemedicine curriculum here at Emory. And our sleep fellows, our pulmonary fellows, and any other rotators through our sleep clinic can access on-demand didactics. So what do I mean by on-demand didactics? So we produced nine very simple and short private YouTube videos. So trainees don't have to sit listening to us for over an hour on the computer talking about telemedicine. They also get a reading list with some AASM resources. And then, of course, we supervise their clinical encounters. So that way we sort of interweave the practical with the theoretical to provide them a solid basic knowledge about sleep telemedicine. But then, of course, we're teaching them about sleep medicine during those clinical encounters <laughs> all along the way as we normally would. And uh, right now, we're actually doing a small IRB-approved study, which is looking at how much fellows actually learn we're doing pre and post surveys and quizzes uh, from this curriculum. And we hope to have those results uh, later in 2021. And it would be really great if we have an effective teaching tool for those very program directors who said they didn't have a curriculum, but could imagine its utility last year when we, serve, uh, when we surveyed them. So we're going to kind of go full circle with this. You know, that's really interesting. My my son is in seventh grade and he yeah. is remote learning, of course, or my mm -hmm. kids are both distance learning. And um, we came across a math problem maybe a week or two ago and he had questions about it and he just went back and replayed the video. You know, it just, it, it almost <laughs> seems like you're, you can stop it. You can think about it. You can ask a question. You can rewind it. I mean, to me, that just seems like a great resource that you can probably continue to utilize moving forward. Exactly. This pandemic has really revealed how resourceful we can be, not only clinically, but educationally. And the tools that have been there for years, and in some cases, decades, have really come to the forefront because we have to use them. So then how do you precept your fellows? Right. So this gets at the clinical part of the curriculum that I mentioned a little bit earlier. So in our clinics, both at Emory and the Atlanta VA, uh, we do a combination of phone visits and video visits. So a fellow will start the visit just like they would have during in-person visits. And when they're finished with their part interviewing the patient, they call or text us to let us know that they're ready to precept. And if at all possible, the goal is to emulate how we precepted before the pandemic. So for a video visit, for instance, the fellow places the video visit on mute and turns off their camera while they sort of leave the room to talk to the attending. They will then call me on the phone or, or text me. I can call the, the 
fellow back. We come up with a plan. Then I can join them in their virtual clinic room and talk to them and the patient. It's, it's of course, hard to do a physical exam because the patients are at home and nobody can claim telemedicine visits are great for a physical <laughs> exam. But I can have the patient twist their head so we can look for retrognathia. I've had patients shine a pen light in their mouth in front of the camera so I can get some look uh, in, in their mouth and of their throat a little bit. Um, you know, it, it seems it's far from perfect, as you know, but it allows me to point things out to the fellow as if the patient was in the room with us, at least to an extent. Um, do I worry about the comprehensiveness of the fellow's training this year? Absolutely. But I think we've really been able to maintain a strong training program despite all of these challenges. And it's probably preparing them even better than we had planned for their future in sleep medicine clinical practice. Um, telemedicine won't be so special for them. It'll just be how we practice medicine. You know, when you were talking about how you can show your fellows um, maybe anatomical landmarks or, or abnormalities, it, it made me think of a patient I had kind of early with the uh, center to home telemedicine. And, and she was curious, you know, she was asking me, she's like, oh, can you really see, you know, when I open up my mouth? So I wound up taking a screenshot and texting it to her. And then we kind of reviewed it together, you know, which I can honestly say, like, I've never been able to do that before. So I, I kind of appreciated being able to do that uh, with telemedicine. Absolutely. Sometimes we have a necessity and we have to creatively work through it. And sometimes the results are not as bad as we worry. So um, there, there's been all sorts of really opportunities for this sort of growth over the past year. So how do you, how do you deal with OSCEs? I mean, how do the fellows like this? That is a great question that I'm really interested in, but I don't think we really know yet. The virtual OSCEs I've done have mainly been through the AIR program, where we're working on alternative models to train sleep fellows. I know you've spoken with leaders from that program before on this podcast. Um, my experience has really been very positive. Uh, I can critique a fellow's virtual visit with a patient, no matter how far away they are. And standardized patients don't have to be physically with the trainee. So you have a potentially larger pool of standardized patients to pull from. It's, of course, also a great way to critique fellows' website manner. Uh, so how well are they connecting with the patient over telemedicine is the question, because they'll probably be using telemedicine to some extent for the rest of their career. Um, so I'm really excited about this dovetailed area of telemedicine educational assessment along with sleep medicine educational assessment. And I think we'll be seeing a lot more of this going forward. Um, I hope the fellows find it valuable, especially since maybe they're more comfortable now being on camera during their clinical encounters than they were before the pandemic. I love that you brought up the AIR program. Um, you know, tell me, is there a difference? I mean, do you use um, telemedicine more or less, or is there a difference between an AIR fellow and a more traditional PATH fellow? 
I think most air fellows are using telemedicine as part of their home program. Um, just to review, a few existing fellowship programs can now blend sleep training with pulmonary training or have sleep fellows work with them part-time for two years instead of full-time for one year. So that's what the AIR program is. Um, we leave it up to the programs to develop telemedicine experiences locally, which, as I said earlier, has been sort of forced upon them by the pandemic. But these AIR fellows complete telemedicine OSCEs as part of their competence evaluation. So telemedicine has now made its way through all parts of their experience from the beginning to the very end of their program. Um, I've evaluated several of these OSCEs now. They aren't live, they're, they're recorded. So mm -hmm. I can also rewind and check out other parts <laughs> again. Um, and it's just, it's so gratifying to see sleep education now using telemedicine as an evaluation tool. It like went from my head five years ago and now I see it on the screen. So getting back to your fireside chats, are your fellows then now benefiting from your learned experience? So again, all of the things you wish you had known when you first started doing telemedicine. And, and I can't help but wonder if they realize what an incredible advantage that is. I mean, not having to start from scratch with this, it felt like endless trial and error over the years. I mean, have you have you talked to your fellows about this? Have you surveyed them? Yeah, so uh, absolutely. Our fellows benefited some from sleep telemedicine training in the past. They would have a few clinics, but it's much more formalized now using the curriculum that I mentioned earlier. And of course, many programs started from pretty much zero in terms of telemedicine experience, even among the faculty. So I'm just so glad the ASM is producing materials like this to get attendings up to speed quickly so that it's not so much trial and error moving forward. And we really can train our fellows efficiently to be 21st century sleep docs. And keep in mind, our current class of sleep medicine fellows doesn't know it any other way. This is their sleep fellowship. Um, in terms of surveying the fellows, uh, we have surveyed them uh, as part of that sort of pre-post curriculum project that I mentioned earlier, and we hope to have that data to share along with the rest of our study, uh, with the rest of our data from that study, you know, later on in the year. And of course, we do our regular ACGME required evaluations uh, during the year as well. So we're going to be getting a lot more data toward the end of this current academic year. And what a great point. You're right. They they don't know any different. This is just their sleep medicine right. training. <laughs> right. right. So tell me, any closing thoughts? Well, Seema, just thanks so much for inviting me. I, I just want to remind everyone of the rich telemedicine resource library that's available through the AASM website. Um, before we can teach anyone else about sleep telemedicine, we really have to educate ourselves and educate ourselves well. And the items on there help us do that. So thanks again for giving me the opportunity to chat today. Oh, well, thanks for talking to us, Barry. And, and really, thank you for putting together such great resources on telemedicine. Just to remind everyone again, the fireside chats and other tools are available at aasm.org forward slash telemedicine. 
Thank you for listening to Talking Sleep, brought to you by the American Academy of Sleep Medicine. For more podcast episodes, please visit our website at aasm.org. You can also subscribe through your favorite podcast service. And if you enjoyed this episode, please take a moment to leave a rating or review. For more feedback or suggestions, email us at podcast at aasm.org. I hope you'll join us again for more Talking Sleep. Until next time, this is Seema Kosla, encouraging you to sleep well so you can live well.